Welcome to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself with your host, Leo Flowers. I am Leo Flowers. One day I'm going to stop doing that because I don't. I, it's just ego-driven. Let's be honest. Uh, today's joining me is Jeff Tarchuk, who is a suicide survivor, TEDx speaker, serial entrepreneur, and he sold more businesses than I've started. Uh, welcome, JT Money. Thanks, Leo, man. Glad to be here. Wow, you sound so much more relaxed than I do. I, I've had way too much caffeine this morning. <laughs> I hear that, how, man. Jeff, how, how did you start your day this morning? Like, do you, what's your typical, like, when you get out of bed, are you, you check the phone first or are you meditating? What, are you, you kiss the wife? What do you do? You know, I, I do. I, I do still have the habit of checking my phone first. I do have so many things going on at all different time zones all over the world. And so I usually always wake up uh, to check the email, text messages, telegram to see kind of what's the first fire I have to put out first. And uh, that's something I'd like to change, but it's not painful enough for me to have to change right now. So it's uh, yeah, definitely check the phone. Check the phone is the first thing. You know, what's fascinating about uh, there's so many things I, I want to uh, sink my claws into about what you just said, but I'm going to go with the last thing you said about it's, it's not painful enough for you to make that change now. Uh, I'm in a um, sugar and carb and addicts, sugar and carb addicts group. And um, and one of the things they talk about is when there's financial, emotional and mental pain, when that becomes great enough that's when people seek change and and um, and commit to it can you tell me more about that like you said it's not painful enough what what did that what does that mean to you yeah uh, that's a great question and uh you got to put me onto that carbs and sugar uh, aa group myself man I, I could probably use that as well but um yeah for me what it means is i know checking my phone text messages emails straight out the gate isn't the best thing for me um but it, you know, it hasn't impacted uh, my relationship with my partner um, uh, enough to for me to stop. She happens to uh, be asleep during those times. But um, yeah, so it's it's not painful enough. Though I do know it is something. It is a habit I do want to change. But it it, it yeah, it hasn't impacted me enough to need to change right away. So you brought up it doesn't impact your partner it sounds like um relationships not just with your partner but i would imagine with your family uh is something that you consider when you are uh making business decisions or changing habits can you talk to me more about that yeah absolutely uh for me uh relationships are currency relationships are the most important thing in my life and i know you know, we all have our vices, whether it's sugar, carbs, alcohol, substances, sleeping in, all those different kinds of things. They're fine when they're, you know, only impacting us personally. But when they become serious problems is when they are impacting those around us. And um, yeah, for me, I, I know if I'm on my phone too long throughout the day, and that's taking attention away, like if I'm on a date, uh, with my girl and um, and my phone, checking emails, text messages, and those kind of things is taken away from the quality time that I should be spending with my girlfriend. 
um, I know it then becomes a problem and I know it impacts her and I know it impacts our relationship negatively. Therefore, it is something that if not dealt with needs to change. And so right now she happens to like sleeping in. And so that's when I actually get to get a lot of my stuff done in the morning. So uh, that, that first thing in the morning hasn't significantly impacted me a lot, but I do know if I made that little change, it could probably improve a lot of other areas in my life. How do you communicate that, Jeff? A lot of people are in relationships where what their partner does has an impact on them uh, for the negative, quote unquote. It bothers them. I don't like to say for the negative. It it bothers them. Absolutely. Uh, One of the the tools that we use in our relationship, because I I come from, I was divorced uh, about four years ago, went through infidelity and all of that kind of stuff. And uh, my current girlfriend, she went through that as well. And so when we got together, we brought in a lot of baggage with us and a lot of our previous traumas and triggers and all of those sort of things that um, were easily set off by little things that were unintentional by the other person. And it was seemed to be unfair a lot of times for us to bring that baggage into this current relationship and then hold our current partner accountable for what happened previously in another relationship. And so one of the things we've used, kind of a communication tool, uh, we, we coined it the JAR, J-A-R, which stands for judgments, assumptions, and resentment. And these are little stones that we toss in the jar, whether she said a joke that triggered me the wrong way, or I did something to her that hurt her and, and vice versa. We start collecting these stones, rocks, and sand in this jar over time. And as it builds up, um, you know, the more painful it is. So what we tried to do early on is say, hey, at the end of the week, is there anything in the jar we need to talk to? And it doesn't matter how minuscule or small it was. Um, let's talk about it, how dumb we think it was, how embarrassed we are that we were triggered by it. Um, and then we would try weekly to dump out that jar so that we aren't carrying those resentments. Because I remember my previous relationship, previous marriage, um, there were a lot of things. I remember towards the end, we kind of had this come to Jesus moment where we both dumped out everything in the jar from like the past that we were married eight years, but we were dating two years. So there was stuff even from our dating years that we still had in the jar, the judgments and resentments that we had brought into our marriage that hadn't been dealt with that by the time we were dealing with them was, was too late. And so now we may get a practice to, to empty out the jar as often as possible um, and, and provide a safe space for the other person. Cause a lot of times our insecurities, we don't want to share that with the other person that we're with, but to create a safe space for us to talk through the pain points and the triggers and that sort of stuff. Uh, so that we don't, it doesn't become a little pebble. doesn't become a larger stone over time. Okay, Jeff, uh, for all my female listeners out there, they, they're all wishing they were married to you right now. <laughs> They're like, oh, he communicate and he plan on communicating. Okay, <laughs> Jeff, hold up, dog. You, tell me now, if you say you came up with this on your own, now every woman's gonna want to marry you. How, <laughs> well, how did this come about? Did you read this in a book in therapy? Talk to me. Yeah, so uh, my my girl and I have invested a lot individually on therapy. We read a lot of self development books. Uh, Brene Brown is really big for me, and. Um, she and for me when i when i look back at what went wrong in my previous relationship it's just it wasn't that uh it was bad it was just we didn't have the communication tools or that or we didn't create a safe space for each other to talk and so uh moving forward we just made it a priority and so reading books like Brene brown i watched Brene brown on, on netflix she has this amazing um conversation uh that she uses 
that uh, that she yeah anyway super good and so yeah it's something that for me again going back to relationships are the most important currency in my life I know just like I do protect my own investments I need to do a, a lot to protect uh, my relationship investments which you know the people I surround myself are really important so I, I use that principle not only with my girl but with friends and coworkers uh, just to keep communication open and um, yeah, I believe it's important to have hard conversations. I believe it's important to be transparent and vulnerable. And uh, actually in my TED talk, uh, I, I talk about a time where I was caught in a lie. And how do you rebuild your integrity when you are caught in a lie that you didn't intend to be in? And how do guys like Lance Armstrong or Bill Clinton uh, rebuild their integrity after being caught you know, publicly in a lie and that ripple effect impacting so many other people? Is it possible to rebuild integrity. And one of the principles that I share in this TEDx talk was uh, to be the buffalo. And I don't know if you're familiar with the concept of the buffalo I happen to. My company is based in Cheyenne, Wyoming, and we have we have bison all around us. And um, they, they have this cool thing they do when the storm comes up over the Rockies, um, they actually turn and face the storm and run into it. And as they're running into the storm, what happens is you get through the storm uh, that much faster versus the cow they uh, they turn away from the storm and run away from it. But when you're running away from something and the cloud is still over, you stay in that storm that much longer. And so uh, I've, I've had this, you know, saying kind of in my head, like, be the buffalo, have the hard conversations, face the storm head on. And it helps you get through the storm into the light that much faster. It's not easy. It's hard. It, it's going to be painful. You might lose things, relationships throughout the process. But I do believe that um, facing things head on does have, you know, uh, great, you know, great outcomes. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's kind of been my, my goal and through the process and picking up communication tools uh, to put in my tool chest that can be used all along the way uh, is super important to me. And uh, because I wish I would have had that in my previous marriage and I've had businesses fail as a result of a lack of communication uh, and yeah, I just believe being able to communicate who you are effectively is so valuable and important. And it's just something I'm continuing to add on to my life because I was so bad at it. <laughs> you know, what I love about the last part uh, and what you said is communicating uh, who you are effectively. And I think uh, I know for me and, and for a lot of people out there struggle with who are they, you know, uh, in, in school there, you know, it's about what you're going to become. Um, and at no point, really, when I think about education, are they asking you, who are you as a person? What are your characteristics? What do you value? How do you um, process who you are? Uh, assuming that, like, you know, who you are is changing over time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, we're constantly evolving as a person and adapting. Um, that's interesting because I, it actually leads into why I attempted suicide. Uh, in middle school. So I was raised in a uh, pretty traditional uh, evangelical home, Christian home, and I had pretty conservative parents, you know, they had rules and different things that uh, they were trying to communicate and rear me in a particular kind of way that I just rebelled from and pushed back from. And um, my, I had a brother who was 10 years older than me that um, he, he was the straight-A student, really smart, perfectionist, clean room, artist, played piano, all that kind of stuff. And uh, at about fifth grade, I was diagnosed with ADHD, dyslexia, uh, ODD, uh, oppositional defiance disorder, and just struggled in school. 
And, you know, I saw the attention and adoration he was getting as, you know, the straight A student and perfectionist musician, all that kind of stuff. And then for me, it's like, well, I'm going to get attention in the other direction. And so I started acting out, trying to be the class clown, all that kind of stuff. And the uh, I just didn't feel like I fit in early on. I saw all my friends. Um, they were doing really well in school. They can turn in their book reports so much faster than I could. They were getting better grades on their tests. And I was like, why? Why don't? Why isn't this come easier for me? Why does it take me so much longer to read things and process things? Why doesn't this? Why do I hate sitting down? And why? Why am I this way? Um, and then when I got those diagnoses, I was just like, man, it's because I'm broken, and it's because I'm different. And to me, and then here comes the medications, that you know, the Adderall, the Ritalin, the antidepressants in like sixth grade. And then now I'm just like trying to process all of this, trying to process. Um, you know, growing into becoming a man, going through puberty, all of that kind of stuff that uh, just got worse and worse, man. And to the point where, um, yeah, I was like the pain that I'm feeling inside from being that round peg shoved in a square hole. Um, I just, I felt like a steel blanket, steel wet blanket, just weighing me down in eighth grade. And I remember thinking like, there's no, I tried everything. I tried getting attention. I tried girls, drugs you know, uh, all the things, the adrenaline, different things to try to make myself feel better, but I couldn't run away from this like wet blanket cloud. And I remember I hated my parents. I was just so ragey and angry, but I didn't honestly know why. Like my parents were decent people. They didn't abuse me. They didn't hurt me. Um, they provided for me and I was just angry. But what I realized was uh, I just couldn't fit in and I didn't have this identity for me what it seemed like was a, a good place to be was you were a straight A student, you did well in sports. And if you weren't that you weren't a success. And I was like, well, that, that does it for me, then I'm not going to be able to make it. And you know, when you're a kid, school seems like an eternity, you know, the two years in middle school seem like eternity and high school feels like an eternity when it's literally only like two years, four years, six years of your life. And uh, I remember that moment, um, you know, going in and out of counseling and therapy and and just all these different things being like, I just, the, I need to end this pain. And I, the, I felt like the only thing I could do to end the pain was to attempt uh, to take my life. And, and I did, and, and thankfully it, it didn't, uh, you know, work out, but I still remember like trying to figure out a way to pierce through that it was so important for me because it was, I felt like it was the only way out and um, no medication, no anything was hitting it. And so, um, yeah, that kind of sent me on this journey to discovery uh, kind of imposed journey. My, my parents sent me my ninth grade year to a group home. I was lived, born and raised in Southern California, and they shipped me off to this group home out in the middle of Tennessee, like in the sticks um, on a river with goats and cows and farm and all kinds of stuff. And it was a completely different mindset shift for me. And there were like six, 16 guys out there on this farm and completely different lifestyle and actually changed diet and everything. And um, yeah, I started to see some shifts uh, in all of that, that uh, I started to see, okay, things can be done differently. Uh, the school kind of structure and system was set up for people with ADHD and all that kind of stuff. I was like, oh, so I am not dumb. Like, I just think and do things differently. Um, things started to click. And then I started to kind of rise up into leadership positions. Like, oh, I, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm a leader. And just different things started to, to click in for me over time um, that, that started to make more sense. But I knew I was different. I knew my mind operated differently. Uh, but then I started to realize I actually am smart. I actually can do stuff. And um, 
and yeah, I just had to kind of learn what those things were that I was good at that I could kind of double down on. And I, I found this principle that really helped me. Uh, this came about maybe six, seven years ago as I was on this journey. Like I wasn't a school person. I don't know how I made it through high school. My mom begged me to go to college and I, I went, but uh, struggled through that. Didn't know how I graduated. Didn't even think I was going to graduate on the day of graduation sort of thing and uh, made it through. And I discovered this thing. Uh, I don't know if you've heard it before, Leo. It's called Ikigai. Ikigai. It's a Japanese yes. concept. Um, I don't know if you guys have talked about it on the show before, but it's popularized by Dan Buettner, who did a study on the Blue Zones uh, for National Geographic. And for those of you that don't know, Blue Zones are areas in the world that have the highest concentration of people that live over 100 years old, centurions. And uh, the places he studied at the time was Loma Linda, California, Okinawa, Japan, and Sardinia, Italy. And one of the things he discovered in uh, uh, Okinawa, Japan, was this word kept coming up over and over and over again, ikigai, ikigai, which uh, as he dove in to research it more, means your reason for waking up in the morning or your reason for being. And I remember kind of, you know, juxtapositioning myself back when I was, you know, attempting suicide to that moment. I was like, man, do I have a reason for waking up in the morning? What is that reason? And if you were to Google it right now, you could go check on your phone. Uh, just Google Ikigai, A-I-K-I-G-A-I. -I -I. Um, you'll see a Venn diagram. And it has this Venn diagram of your passion, your mission, your profession, and your vocation. So it's essentially like, what are your strengths? Your pat, your what do you what do you like? What can you make an impact in? And how can you make a living doing it all? And if you can kind of find the heart of all of those things, the root at the core, um, that's your that's your sweet spot. Like there's um, and they attribute living in that sweet spot uh, to longevity. And for me, that uh, that really changed a lot for me as I was going on a journey myself of uh, self discovery of figuring out what am I good at. Uh, I've kind of come up with this acronym uh, called Sweet Spot, and uh, Sweet is an acronym for uh, strengths, understanding your strengths, figuring out what you are good at, um, uh, your weaknesses, your education, like what what life experience, what things have you learned throughout your life that are unique to you? What life experience do you have? Where were you born? What was your environment like? Who do you know? What do you you know? What do you have access to? And then your talents, the things that you're just, you know, naturally good at and putting all of those things together creates this sweet spot that when you're living in it, I, I believe, you know, it's it, it puts us in alignment with what we should be doing. And, uh, you know, because I believe before, like when you're living out of alignment, when you feel like that round peg in a square hole, you uh, you, you feel the angst. You feel the anxiety, you feel which starts to lead to depression and it starts to lead to discouragement, doubt and, and despair. Like you really feel like you have nowhere to go uh, when people around you are telling you so many things and you don't truly understand yourself. But I believe if you can kind of discover what your sweet spot is, owning your strengths. Like for me, um, uh, I, I don't know if you've ever taken the, the Gallup Finder test, Leo. Um, oh yeah, I love it, man. I, I came up as a a visionary and a I, I forget, but basically my my it tells you who you should link up with, and that's why Michelle and I work so well together because she's the executioner and I'm more of the idea person. Exactly, and so it's interesting. So my number one in my strengths finder was ideation, and I had people my whole life like I've started more businesses since like middle school to today than like you said most people have have even started and um 
people used to come up to me and say, Jeff, you're an ideas guy, which I kind of felt like as a backhanded compliment, um, you know, saying you come up with a lot of stuff, but you don't execute. And to me, I took offense to that. Like I, I rejected it for a long time until I realized like my power to ideate is significantly stronger than most people around me. And if I own it, double down on it, um, I realize like those executioners, Leo, like they don't, they, they don't have the ability. Like there's people who just love checking things off a list. That's not me. I love putting things on a list and letting somebody else help accomplish it. But there's other people that suck at ideation. They can't come up with a, with an idea, you know, in, in a room to save their life. But I knew that was mine. And so I knew that was a unique contribution I can give to the world. Um, weaknesses. I also know like I'm not somebody who can execute. So I need to know and understand that. Um, number one, so I don't allow other people to take advantage of that weakness and exploit that weakness in me. But if I own it, um, it becomes my strength. It becomes something I could lean into and, um, and own, but also know how to supplement along the way. And so it's super important for me to go through that self-discovery process that gave me the confidence to feel more in line with where I should be. And with that alignment came a lot of peace, hope, like just, oh my gosh, like it's so hard to explain, but um, yeah, it's been an amazing journey um, since discovering that, that uh, that's kind of helped me battle you know, feeling different. Man, you just helped highlight something that I resonated so deeply with me in that when you go, I love putting things on a list. I don't like checking things off a list. Michelle loves to check things off a list. I love throwing things on a list. I, I took such a big exhale when you said that because uh, I didn't realize that that was um, – a bigger part of me more than the other part of putting things on a list. Yeah, dude. And so it's super powerful. And to me, so because of this connection, going back to the Ikigai and, and Okinawa, Japan, like they attribute that to why they have so many people living over 100 years old. And I believe when people don't know who they are or have any reason to live, it, it's, it's what creates the angst and anxiety and all that kind of stuff and takes away from the life we should have. And, you know, there's there's an ancient proverb that that says hope deferred makes the heart sick. Uh, but a dream fulfilled is the tree of life. And I, I believe that, you know, like like, yes, when when we aren't living in that skill set, like it's literally hope deferred, like you putting off your dreams and aspirations and goals is literally hope deferred. And that's going to make your heart sick. Like when you're put into the box and you're told this is the route you need to go down. Like my parents, my, my dad's a nurse and my mom worked as a secretary for a school of nursing. So therefore, they wanted me to be a nurse. And they try to entice me by saying like, hey, Jeff, you get four days off a week. You can surf as much as you want. You only got to work three and and all these kind of things, but it just wasn't me. I just couldn't go down that path. Um, and so the more I kind of kicked the can down the road of doing what I felt like I was built to do, I just, I could see, just made me anxious and made my heart sick. But it, it says that a dream fulfilled is a tree of life. And I believe that like when we get in alignment with who we are and what we're supposed to be doing and figure out a way to get paid to do that, like it's literally snacking on the fruit of the tree of life, which uh, I believe is is kind of the, you know, takes us back to that whole ikigai concept of you know tapping into to longevity versus the opposite of wanting to take our lives because we don't feel like there's any other hope or reason for us to be here you know what i love about the idea of ikigai and you know longevity is that it gives us innately something to look forward to 
right? It, it, it's a reminder that uh, we're in this for the long haul. And, you know, it's not just about today. It's about, it's, it's more about the marathon than it is the sprint. And uh, why that's so valuable for me is because I think about emotions, right? And that uh, there are times like where you said, the when you're in middle school, there are moments in our lives where the pain just feels like it's going to last forever. I did an episode about caves versus tunnels. And, you know, when we are in emotional distress, we feel like we're in a cave. There's one way in, there's no way out. We're alone, we're cold. When, you know, emotions are more like tunnels where there's one way in. If we keep going, like you said, become the buffalo and go into it, will come out on the other side. And some tunnels are longer than others. So some emotions last longer than others. And even though it feels like it's going to last forever, that is, it's not true and has is, is never been true. Uh, there, there is a way out, but um, we, we have oh, to breathe through it. I love that. I love that. So good. So when we talk about Ikigai and, you know, we talked about relationships, I want to talk a little bit about business uh, um, because so many people are struggling financially one to make money two to hold on to the money uh, that they do have and then three to grow the money are there different mindsets for each one of those totally uh, yeah you nailed it I think a lot of times you know society kind of paints this picture go to school go to college collect college debt, get a degree, and hopefully that degree can get you a job that can then help you pay down your debt and maintain a decent lifestyle ongoing until that thing is paid off. And then you can retire, and then you can do whatever you want after you're, what, 66 or 67 or whatever. And uh, to me, that's such a cage of, of a mindset. And uh, I, I feel like it's super unfortunate that it's kind of the traditional path that the society has placed in front of us, because I know that's not the way I was built. Like, I I uh, yeah, despised going to school, and uh, I do feel like, yeah, the different paths are, you know, getting out of debt, figuring out how to manage your, your own finances, and getting out of that into a place of financial freedom. And then once you're in that space of financial freedom, finding ways and extra streams of income uh, to make money, uh, whether that's just one stream of income, whether that's your job, or, you know, multiplying that into other streams of income. And then, like you said, the, the third being, how do you grow that wealth once you start deploying it? And so for me, the first thing is, um, you know, a lot of people right now deep in debt, man, uh, a lot of people in forbearance and facing pre foreclosure, uncertainty, all kinds of stuff. And, uh, you know, and that also causes anxiety, depression, despair, and, you know, going deeper into that cave, like there's no way out when in reality there is, I think there are ways to, to kind of face the uh, the darkness of the cave you know because you look at these other people like you look at what rihanna just has announced the billionaire kanye west jay-z all these people like man i just want to be that i want the 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 cars and the clothes and um all that kind of stuff when i'm sitting here like man i'm fifty thousand dollars in debt i'm in forbearance i haven't paid my stuff in a year and a half i'm about to be uh, bankrupt on or you know foreclosed on and going to bankruptcy and to me that would be super that would be super discouraging but i do believe there are kind of ways to navigate out of that. And once you get out of that, you can start developing uh, streams of income. Uh, and there's so many ways to make money today, man. Um, you know, whether, you know, you know, kind of figure out what do you get at and what do you like to make money? What, what, what would you like to do? If you could get paid to do anything in the world, what would you do? And 
for me, it's I love uh, helping people start businesses. I see myself as a uh, a kind of a surrogate of businesses. I, I start things and launch them and, and build the teams and kind of set them up to go. Um, but there was no way I could learn that in school. And so it was kind of figuring out what do I love and what can I get paid to do? Um, what would I do even if I wasn't being paid to do? Like if money wasn't even an issue, what could I continue to do? And then find ways to get paid to do that, uh, which for me was, you know, I started coaching people who wanted to start businesses. And then I started uh, getting equity in companies. And then I started becoming a startup advisor. And then I was able to start to take the money that I was making and put them into other business businesses to continue to multiply them. And then I realized once you kind of hit, there's a tipping point um, that you can hit. And then it just continues to to grow and expand and put you in spaces and places that give you opportunities that I didn't have. Like my parents, man, they still, I mean, San Bernardino, I don't know if anybody who's listening knows about San Bernardino, California, but it's the second bankrupt city just behind Detroit, like more gangs per capita than anywhere else in the United States. My parents still live in the same two bedroom, one bath house they've been in 45 plus years in a neighborhood that's gone downhill. And, um, you know, I wasn't raised around entrepreneurship, but there are more ways now today to make money than ever before. And so, you know, with YouTube University and, um, you know, just accessing people and DMing people on, on Instagram to try to get mentorship to find ways to make money is so important. Um, I, I can't overestimate it, you know, overemphasize it enough. But yeah, there's definitely ways to do it that I would encourage people to just try. A lot of people say, well, I'm not an entrepreneur. I didn't go to business school. I didn't learn finance or accounting or any of that stuff. You don't need that to be successful and make money today. You don't even need coding skills to build a website. You don't even need, you know, anything to like do a podcast. You don't need platforms. Like you don't need to get on TV to to become famous. Like it's it's a completely different world and access to um, what you want is more accessible today than ever before. And the barrier to entry is so low that uh, it's really exciting time to be alive. <laughs> you know, you, you brought up mentorship. And I think that uh, a challenge for a lot of people is in general asking for help, saying, um, you know, I'm, I'm really in, in desperate times. I'm, I'm going to lose the house. I'm going to may potentially lose my family. The kids are our way of life. And it becomes such a hard thing, especially for men, but anybody who um, is, you know, used to a certain lifestyle to say, hey, I, I need help. And, and, I, and I feel like the idea of, of, of seeking out a mentorship is saying to someone that, you know, you need help. Is there a reframe for that? Or can you talk more about the benefits of, of seeking a mentor and how to do that? Totally, totally. Um, I know a lot of people, when they see success, uh, envy and jealousy kind of get in the way of that where they don't, they will, it's more comfortable to like backbite and talk them down and, 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 you know, hate on them than it is to try to figure out what they did to get to where they are. Cause what I always said is like success leaves clues and you never have to reinvent the wheel to get to where, to where somebody is. And so what I have found is like, yes, I wouldn't be where I'm at today if it wasn't for access to people and mentors and that kind of stuff. And growing up, I didn't have access to a lot of people. There was nobody in my home who was an entrepreneur. There was nobody who, I didn't know anybody who started their own business. Um, but what I found was getting, um, yeah, just finding people that you admire and then find your find a way to help them, find a way to get in the room, find a way to, to add value to that person um, can go a long way. One of the things I always tell people, the fastest way to get what you want is by helping other people get what they want. And if you can, you know, find ways to help other people, um, 
do that, then it, it'll just increase your path to success that much faster. And mentorship, man, there's no faster way that I've seen uh, that has kind of put fuel behind my success is getting access to people. And, and sometimes you do, you have to pay to play. You have to pay to get access to people. You have to pay to be in the room. And um, you you know, like, yes, that you do have to pay there. I've, I've done things. I remember when we were first starting out, uh, we were fundraising for uh, one startup and we didn't have money. We were literally bootstrapping everything at the time. And uh, it was for a blockchain company. I remember there was one uh, crypto conference that was happening in Half Moon Bay up in California. It was an invite only at the Ritz Carlton. It was like a $15,000 per, per ticket event, invite only. And so me and my business partner, we snuck in. We were saying, hey, we're going to go hiking on the beach. We snuck in, got through the gate, and then we changed our clothes into more formal attire to get into this thing. And we literally hung out in the lobby of this of this expensive conference to get access to the venture capitalists that then could then fund our company to get us where we need to be. Now, I didn't have to be in the actual conference to meet this particular person that can get me to where I need to be. I just had to be within the proximity of where this person would be. And so what's funny was we were sitting out in the lobby because uh, we couldn't get into the actual conference, but we were sitting in the lobby where everybody had to pass through to get to the conference. And we happened to meet the, uh, the PR uh, girl for uh, a bunch of VCs in Silicon Valley. And she like runs the Twitter for all these really high up uh, VCs. And so she, who also wasn't in the conference, was the plug that gave us access to all these people that then gave us access to, we actually got $5 million in funding for the startup. But uh, we had to get crafty. We had to get, um, you know, we had to get creative with, with how we got access to these people. But um, it's not something you need to be intimidated by. You just have to be creative on how you can get access to some of these mentorship when you don't have the money. But then when you do start finding some success, there's success still has ceilings that uh, you can break through by paying to get into. Like I've paid, you know, 10, 15, $20,000 for masterminds and mentorships that got me in the room with people that have significantly um you know, increased my, my success just as a result of being in the room and uh, getting access to these people. Uh, so yes, there are kind of, you know, intro level, get access. And then once you get some money, pay more to get access. But for me, like all the money I get, like I said, relationships are currency. And, um, you know, I, I will pay a lot of money to get access to certain people to build up uh, those relationships over time, which I believe are super important today. You know, and you talked about relationships being currency. And one of the things you mentioned earlier uh, that I want to put a pin in is, or a highlight, not not put a pin in, is that you, you talked about investing in therapy. You didn't say we we spent money on therapy or that we went to therapy. You, you used that word investing in therapy. Why, why did you say investing? Why was that um, uh, the key word for you? Yeah, I mean, I, I look at the lens because I'm an angel investor. Um, I look at a lot of things I do through the lens of investing. And I, I always kind of look at life. I don't know if you guys have, have played The Sims back in the day or SimCity. And, oh, uh, yeah. You, yeah. So if you play the actual, you know, the, the Sims, you see the different levels that are going up, whether their relationship bar is going down or their hunger bar is going down, or their sleep bar is going down or their intimacy bar is going down. And you have to do certain things to push that bar back up on each of those things, whether it's their health, relationships, all that kind of stuff. And in my head, I see those bars in real life, you know, with how I'm doing with all of my bars, you know, on a scale of one to 10. And then how I see things happening in my personal uh, immediate relationships and then the relationships in my business. And then like the, the kind of the outside of those circle 
relationships, I see also those bars kind of like the sins. And I realized like, you know, I remember, you know, I had a lot of relationships prior to COVID and then with COVID happening for a year and six months plus, um, the, the relationship equity starts going down when you haven't made touch points and you don't send Christmas cards, when you don't send that, hey, what's up texts. And so I've had to be more intentional on maintaining those relationships over time because I believe like every time you invest in it, I'm not talking just physical money. It could be, but it could be something like, hey, just checking in, just saying hi or hey, happy new year. Just just wanted to say hi and just keeping yourself top of mind with these people around you are super important when it comes to opportunities that will be placed in front of you and, and different things that might come up later that um, that could really be helpful to you. And so I don't I don't see like when I say invest in people or currency of relationship, it's not about using people. It's just about like in uh, building up your relationship equity with somebody else that could, you know, bring a lot of equity and, and opportunities later on. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, it's been really good for me uh, in investing in uh, key relationships, but also knowing how to cut off the losses, the people around you that are bringing you down, the people that, you know, are, are not helping you towards your goals. Like for me, mindset is so important. And if people have a limiting belief or limiting mindset, like I honestly, like even if they're family, like I can't spend that much time with them um, just because I know how important it is for me and how, you know, I believe words create worlds. And if we if we uh, allow ourselves to be around people that are negative, it will impact us negatively. And so I, I do invest time and money and different things to be around people that I know are going to help move me and uh, make me a better person. So. You said words create worlds. There's so much talk out there about affirmations, self-talk. Um, you know, I, I was just reading an article in the New York Times about how coaches motivate their players. Um, is there a, a certain formula for how you talk to yourself, how you create the world through words that you are aspiring to? Yeah. Um, one, one world and, uh, you know, having come back from a uh, from a religious home, uh, I was always fascinated by the creation story. You know, God spoke something and literally it existed. And, uh, you know, life and death is in the power of the tongue. And, um, you know, th that really stood firm to me. So I know, like, uh, if, if I say I will never do this, you won't, right? Um, I know if I say, like, one day I will be a billionaire, like, I, or say, well, I'll never be a billionaire. Sure, you won't be one. Like, you're not just going to accidentally wake up one day and be a billionaire. But if I say one day I will be a billionaire or I am a billionaire, I'm going to act accordingly. I remember hearing this uh, interview with Terry Crews and, and Tim Ferriss. And Terry Crews uh, would say, you know, I would say, okay, if I want to be a bodybuilder, I don't have to wait five years after being big and diesel to say I'm a bodybuilder. I can literally wake up today and say I am a bodybuilder and act accordingly immediately, you know, and, and live within that reality immediately. And to me, that was super important where you can literally create those realities, create that paradigm shift um, immediately with words. Uh, something else I love is the word uh, abracadabra. Um, abracadabra literally means, um, you know, as I have spoken, I will create. And to me, it's so powerful that as we speak, we can literally create the worlds around us. Um, I love the idea. I have this, my, my investment company kind of incubator is called Fruition Lab. And the idea of fruition is 
like everything that exists uh, that was created started off as an idea in somebody's brain, like immaterial neurons shooting back and forth in somebody's brain that then they were able to take tools and resources and different things and put them together to create something, whether it's your iPhone, your car, the road you're driving on, the Times Square, like anything. But all of that started off as an immaterial thought in somebody's brain. But then it took taking that thought, verbalizing that thought to those around you, which can be extremely scary. I mean, that's why like for creatives, there's so many people that are creative, but they're creative in their own brain. They're like, well, nobody's going to accept it. Well, that's okay. Um, you're just at what they call the beginning of the innovation curve. Like you're not going to be accepted at the beginning of this thing, but over time, um, it's going to be more and more accepted. And so, um, yeah, for me, it's it's really powerful to to just know that words do create worlds. That yes, what I speak can abracadabra be become a reality. And to to not, I remember complaining. I remember I, I used to complain a lot. I hated humidity. I hated heat. I hate, you know, they're just, I complained about every single thing. And I knew that wasn't serving me. And so I remember doing for a month, a no complain challenge, where if I caught myself complaining, I would drop down and do 30 burpees. And I, I made it public. I put it up on Facebook. I, I owned a gym at the time. And I remember telling everybody, like, if you catch me complaining about anything, uh, tell me and I'll drop down and do 30 burpees. If I catch myself, I'm going to drop down and do 30 burpees. And I remember that 30-day no complaining challenge had such a huge impact on resetting uh, my brain to stop thinking in the negative and start thinking more in the positive. Uh, I do that a lot for my health. Like, uh, you know, I know when I start eating junk food, I start feeling really shitty, whether it's, you know, I'm eating, you know, stop off eating uh, fast food or pizza or soda or sugar, all of those kind of stuff. Um, I know when that happens, I was like, okay, I'm going to do a juice cleanse and I'll do this uh pressed juice cleanse for three days, juice on, juice and water only. And then by the end of it, I notice my palate is reset and I no longer crave junk food anymore. Um, for me, it's not about weight loss. It's more about, you know, where's my mindset and creating those reset shifts in my brain. And so, uh, yeah, doing those no complaining challenges helped me kind of practically reset my brain to start thinking in a more positive way. Because it's hard. We get I believe like speak thinking and speaking negatively is a habit and a habit can be broken. And uh, one of the things I, I, I like, there's this guy, Jordan Peterson, uh, he wrote this book and in it, he talks about how losers are a collection of bad habits. And to me, that was so powerful. Uh, sure, it sounds bad, but uh, to me, it was profound in that like a habit can be broken. You know, and sure, it takes time, you know, whether it's 21 days or whatever science is saying it takes time to break a habit, but they can be broken. And if you can break those bad habits, uh, they can ultimately set you up to be a winner by learning new habits. And so that's uh, something that's really uh, significant for me that I, I try to implement in my life in little practical ways. Because, you know, it's easy to slip back. Like, you know, I get on my diet kick and I'm cool losing five pounds, 10 pounds and drinking my gallon of water a day. But then, you know, you get cut up, you get stressed, you start eating bad again, you slip right back. But it's not something you have to stay discouraged in doing uh, that you can help reset the push, push the reset on those things and get back on where you want to be. Man, so many powerful words. Uh, one of the two of the things I want to emphasize uh, for the listeners out there. One is when we look at suicidality, um, two of the things that uh, are said to anchor us or tether us uh, to life are 
uh, purpose and people. So feeling connected to our purpose and feeling connected to other people. And, you know, we already talked about Ikigai and uh, recognizing what is your Ikigai. Um, and, and the other part is, I love that you mentioned the amount of effort. Be connected to other people is I, I grew up with this idea that um, if they're meant to be in my life, they would just be. That it, that it didn't require effort on my part. It, it should just happen naturally. And, and I think this is the idea that we get from movies and TV and media and other people. Um, but it does require effort. It does require thoughtfulness. It does require mindfulness. And, uh, and, and to have uh, a practice, I like this word, practice of being connected to other people whether that means a, a daily practice of how you connect with your significant other or others uh, is 2021 it, relationships are uh, so dynamic now um, or how you connect with, uh, you know, seeking a mentor or your colleagues or, you know, uh, people that you want to connect with in the future. Like what's your practice for staying connected versus leaving it, to, you know, the will of the universe. Um, so I, I love that you emphasize that it, it takes thought. And I think that, and you brought this up too, is that uh, I think one of the reasons why I know I didn't do it before is because I felt like I was using people or that I was being disingenuous because I was putting in effort. And it's like you, you put effort, we put effort into finding a job. We put effort into uh, how we look, um, you know, giving birth to a baby, like all the things that we want to build and see grow require effort, whether that's a garden, you have to pull out the weeds and water it, make sure it gets sunlight and tend to it. Um, things require effort in order to build and grow and our relationships are the same. Yeah, absolutely. I do think it takes intention and it does, it does take some finesse as well. Like for instance, uh, I was doing a lot of fundraising for startups and, uh, you know, asking for money can be a really awkward thing. And, you know, you could think that everything you do is set with the intention of building a relationship to one day asking this person for money. But what I realized in fundraising, whether it's for nonprofits or for profits, is you're set, like there are people out there with money. And believe it or not, people who have more money have more problems trying to figure out what to do with that money. Um, they, they have to figure out ways to donate to nonprofits. They want, and they also, you know, want to feel good. You know, you could think like, hey, if you have $10 million, you're the happiest person on the planet. That's actually not true. But what you do when, you, when you're fundraising, you're actually giving them the opportunity to feel the joy of giving. If you've ever given anything, whether it's a dollar to a homeless person on the street or a $100 gift card to somebody, you know the joy that that brings you. And imagine somebody who has the capacity to write a 100000 or a $1 million check the joy that would bring to somebody else. And so uh, not only are you giving them the gift of, of the joy of being able to give, but two, it's important to really know and get to know people uh, and what motivates them. So, you know, you want to make sure that whatever, you know, when I would go and ask people for money, I want to make sure whatever the opportunity was, they were already in line with, you know, um, I, I, and that's super important. And if they're already aligned with the cause or they're aligned with the product or company that you're starting, uh, it's a no-brainer, and so it's uh, it's just providing. It's just, and then it gives you the confidence to be able to go out there and ask for money 
versus feeling like, oh, we're just using them for $100,000 or using them for a million dollars. No, like it's, it's the whole world is kind of the synergistic society that needs to depend on each other. And when we can push back on, you know, those, those limiting beliefs to say, oh, this guy's going to feel like I'm just coming in for money. Well, guess what? Like rich people, and I, and I know what it's like, uh, love to, to feel wanted, love to feel like they can contribute and give back. And so um, it's not something we should feel afraid of, though you don't want to, you know, strictly use people for money. You need to make sure it's in alignment with them and, and it's a good opportunity and, and that kind of stuff. So it's, uh, yeah, it's important, mutually beneficial. Yeah, you know, as you, you use that word joy and, you know, going back earlier, we were talking about how different emotions have different uh, lifespans. Some last, some emotions last a few minutes, some last uh, a few hours, and some like joy can last up to 35 hours. So this idea of, of, of giving, of donating, of being of service in my sugar and carbs group, one of the things they are often um, highlighting is that when we're in distress and we want to turn towards our food or our addiction is that we should turn to service. How can we be of service to someone else, uh, whether it's a stranger or whether it's a mentor? Um, and recognizing that that feeling of joy of being of service lasts for 35 hours. You know, one of the things I love about Michelle, she's so intentional about connecting and being of service uh, to others. And uh, it just highlights for me other ways in which I can do that also. So that, that feeling of joy, you know, whether it's watching the sunrise, going to a theater, volunteer work, um, even going shopping a little bit, you know, as long as you're not uh, breaking a bank or overextending yourself. But there, you know, too much of anything uh, has its opposite consequences. But um, joy has uh, it, that that if you're trying, if you're seeking pleasure, it requires a, a bit of effort in and rolling up the sleeves and uh, and connecting with others. And it, whether that even means um, picking up trash around your neighborhood, um, that that's another way of being of service. So there's so many, you know, uh, the, the beach cleanups. Um, these things can bring us joy, which lasts hours, hours, people. So it's at the, it's right at there at the tip of your fingertips. Um, Jeff, I feel like I could talk to you forever. Um, is there anything that we haven't talked about that, uh, you feel like the listeners should know? Yeah, no, I, I love, I think, uh, what I, yeah, I'd love to piggyback on what you mentioned on joy, because I feel like that's so important. And I remember trying to navigate the depression and discouragement and despair and all that kind of stuff for most of my life. Like even past middle school, I've always still dealt with the the thoughts and the, those things. Like I keep coming back. Um, it's not something that just stopped after I was like, oh, I found my purpose. Where um, And I, I read this book. There's a really great book called Your Life's Perfectness by Michael Louisier. Uh, highly recommend it. And it's essentially like, um, it's like Strengths Finder, but for your purpose, trying to find what fulfills you. Same guy, he, he wrote the Law of Attraction, but this is one super practical, can be read in like a couple hours. Uh, it's more of a workbook like. But one of the things he mentions is, he's like, you got, you know, what your strengths are, and you want to try to be, become more self-aware so you can get aligned with your purpose. Now, I know a lot of people trying to say, hey, you need to find your purpose can be triggering. 
because they're like, well, I haven't found my purpose. I don't feel like I know what I'm doing. Like I, I have this conversation with my girlfriend all the time about how um, she's like, I don't know what my purpose is. And the more we have the conversation, the more frustrated she she gets with herself. And it, it doesn't help. But one of the things that's super important to understand is you understand your your who you are and what you can do. But the ultimate goal isn't your purpose. The ultimate goal is joy, to settle in that joy that, that can be fulfilling. And your purpose will change throughout time. You will continue to evolve. You'll continue to get to know yourself better. You continue to double down on who you are uh, better. And so that's my, my challenge to everybody listening to this is to first just really lean into self-discovery figuring out who you are, what wakes you up in the morning, what gets you excited, what would you be doing um, if you didn't have to care about a paycheck the rest of your life, what brings you joy, and how can you rearrange your life to get more in line with the things that bring you joy without the judgment or criticism of anybody else around you, where you don't care what anybody else around you thinks or says or does. But uh, you are so confident in that because you've, number one, kind of fallen in love with yourself. And two, you you now are in a space and place where, where you're excited and happy to be in. And um, yeah, I think these are great conversations to have. I know it's not at the beginning and I know it's it's just the beginning. And I know it's something that you know everybody navigates. Just know you're not alone in this journey. Um, you know, I have a, another TEDx coming up, and the, the whole theme is human beings being human, and I love that that idea of like you know we all we're all unique individuals, we're all round pegs in a square hole, and it's okay, and it's gonna feel uncomfortable feeling different, but I feel like you know the greatest way for us to make a difference in the world is being different and owning who we are, and so to not be afraid of those things and to yeah really own it and and find that space and place that brings you joy. So that would be it for me. Um, so you mentioned, you know, your life's purpose, uh, Brene Brown. Uh, is there one or two other books that really have resonated with you? Uh, yeah, Brene Brown, anything by her is phenomenal just for kind of emotional awareness, uh, self-awareness stuff. Your Life's Purpose by Michael Louisier. Buy it, read it, you'll love it uh, for more what, you know, figuring out what your purpose is. And then I would take the, uh, the uh, Strengths Finder test. Uh, I highly recommend taking that test so you can get a strong idea of who you are and what your top five strengths are and doing some more research on that. Myers-Briggs, so you can kind of also get an idea of who you are and, um, you know, where are areas that you thrive in and where you don't thrive in. Are you an introvert? Are you an extrovert? Like, you know, a lot of people look at those as like the psychological horoscopes and they can kind of apply to anybody. And sure, you can take a lot of them with a grain of salt, but I feel like, uh, the more pictures and pieces you have of yourself, the more you can start falling in love with yourself to see where you align the best. And so uh, those would be my top picks uh, for, you know, kind of a self-discovery place uh, from there. But yeah. And what do you since we're talking about joy, what do you listen to uh, that brings you joy? Like in terms of songs, music, is there is there a song? Is there a playlist? What, what what type of music brings you joy? Man, uh, anything by Anderson Pac brings me joy. Uh, so much joy. Uh, Bruno Mars, man, that and that collab, the Silk Sonic collab, is bringing me so much joy right now. Um, you know, and there are songs probably from my past that that really bring me a lot of joy. But I got to be honest, like, uh, and this is how you and I connected, uh, going to the comedy shows. 
super important. Like me, I live here in Las Vegas. There's comedy shows every single night. There's open mic nights. And, you know, finding the space and place to laugh again. I just saw Ron White the other night, and he just tore it up. And um, those things bring me a lot of joy in being able to to laugh, even in the midst of, of pain. We went, my girlfriend's mom just passed away last week, and literally, like, the day after, the day of her funeral, we went to go see Ron White just so she's like, I got to remind myself to laugh again. And I think those things are important. So, yeah, comedy shows. I watch The Office. The Office brings me a lot of joy. Uh, seeing Michael Scott and all those guys and their awkward antics bring me a lot of joy that it's okay to be weird and different. And, um, yeah, so that's kind of what I do. And last two questions. Uh, one, what are you looking forward to? You know, <laughs> with with everything that's crazy right now in the world, and I feel like, you know, people thought, well, what's happening with COVID, it's, it's a black swan event, and all these different things are going to be what are the tipping points of the world. And now we see with Afghanistan and all this kind of stuff, like there's so much plight and drama happening in the world. Um, what, what I look forward to and, and really fighting for is a space and place where uh, people can both be individual who they are and respected for who they are and also respect other people that are different than them and I look forward to that sort of future coming in the future and I think society is moving in that direction I think it'll take us a little bit of time to get us in that direction but uh, things are so politically charged right now and you know all, all different stuff uh, in the world but I just think if, if we can love who we are and learn to love and respect other people who are different than us and learn how to communicate without being overcharged and emotional. Some really good stuff can come from that. And that's something I'm learning to practice in my own life, uh, even with people that differ from me. Um, and I uh, really hope we can get to a space and place in the world where that can be the environment moving forward. I love it. And then last question, I always imagine there's one person listening in, maybe on the precipice of wanting to end their life before you kill yourself what would you say to them jeff don't do it man don't don't do it um i know you are experiencing a lot of pain right now i know you feel like you're in that deep dark cave with that heavy steel wet blanket on top of you that thick cloud that you feel like you can't uh pull through but uh yeah there is hope there is light um and uh, yeah, allow yourself to receive it when it comes. And how can people reach out to you? Yeah, hit me up on Instagram. I'm pretty active on there. Uh, hit me up in the DMs uh, and I'll respond if you have any questions or just want to talk. Just, just DM me and would love to uh, yeah, move the conversation further. If you have any questions about business, starting, a, starting something, I'd be happy to explore ideas with you on that. Um, yeah, but probably Instagram or Facebook is, is the best. I love it. Thank you so much, Jeff. Thank you so much, listeners, for tuning in. Remember, this podcast is not a substitute for you going to get help, for you calling the 1-800-SUIDE or 1-800-273-TALK. You can always go to thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one -on -one coaching with yours truly. Let's get to tomorrow together. Thank you so much, Jeff.